Good morning. We're going to look at a passage from Mark 2 uh, that goes into the beginning of chapter 3 this morning. Uh, but before we do that, just a kind of a reminder or a summary of that we are in the middle of a, a sermon series about rest and joy. Um, we all know and imagine many of us feel it even now, the, all the demands upon us, the, the stress that is put upon us by different roles and responsibilities, a schedule that always seems to be busy. And so part of what we've been doing is looking at this sermon series is just asking, what does it look like to find rest, to find joy and renewal? And the scriptures invites us to the idea of Sabbath. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop or to cease. And from the beginning of scriptures throughout, we see that God invites you and me, invites his people to have times of rest as a gift, as a gift. And so we're going to take a moment just to think about that kind of idea, and then we'll look at our passage. Um, when I think about the Sabbath, it is important that we think about it as a gift, and what came to my mind is that kind of saying or that slogan, it's a gift that keeps on giving, the gift that keeps on giving. So thanks to Google, I did some you know, research and found out where that, you know, where that was used, and it's used in many slogans and advertisements, and way back in the 20s for selling Victor radios, it's the gift that keeps on giving. RCA TVs, Kodak cameras, these are gifts that continue to give you some kind of pleasure. I'm assuming that's the idea of music, shows, or photographs. But recently, it was Godiva chocolate, as they had a holiday box of chocolates that was the gift that kept on giving. And I found this interesting, that in the, there was a large box inside the box, it was four smaller boxes of kind of luxury chocolates they're described. And the idea was that you were to receive this box and maybe enjoy one for yourself, and then take the other boxes and give them to others, the gift that keeps on giving. Now, I do wonder how much of that actually happened. You know, it seems likely that all four boxes were just enjoyed by one person. But uh, the idea, right, the gift that keeps on giving, and might be, why do I keep saying this? But when we think about, you know, rest or this idea that God calls us to stop, it can feel like just another duty, another responsibility to add into the list, but Scripture is clear that this is meant to be a gift, a gift that will change and continue to give meaningful things to us. It's, it's a gift of relationship, where God invites us to time to enjoy our connection to Christ and to connection to one another. It's a gift that affirms our human limits, our human needs. In the midst of multiple demands and responsibilities, in the midst of many things being asked of you, Sabbath is this idea that we affirm that I can't work all the time. I can't be on all the time. I can't produce all the time. It's a gift that establishes a rhythm of our time and our, and our schedules. In creation, God rested on the seventh day and made an order or a pattern for time that there would be time that we work and time that we rest. And it's a gift that interrupts all the different voices and claims upon us. In the Ten Commandments, we, God sets forth the call to keep the Sabbath day holy, this idea of a regular interruption that would, all things that would seek to enslave us, trying to break them, or this regular interruption, all the things that would try to evaluate us based on certain criteria of what we've gotten done, that those things should be interrupted. Sabbath is a gift because it has the power to call us back to ourselves in the midst of being scattered. It's a gift that keeps on giving. And one of the things I want to highlight, though, as we think about this aspect of kind of looking in the box, 
is that in Scripture, we're not only instructed to keep the Sabbath rest, but we are given permission to do so. We're given permission to do so. And it's a challenging task, right? We know this. It's challenging in our setting to put aside time in our culture in the midst of constant movement, constant production, constant demands. In the midst of those things, God is saying to you and to me, He's giving us permission. It's okay to stop. It's okay to rest. You're not a failure if you say no or you opt out of a certain activity, or you're not involved in this particular thing. It's okay to say no to an invitation, even a good one. It's not a failure to achieve less or to get less done. It's permission to stop and to even imagine or to say that maybe when we do less that we can become more, more whole, more grounded, more able to delight, more connected to one another, more in step with the Spirit, We have permission to say, remind our hearts, I'm not God. And in fact, I can rest because of God's work for me. This morning, we're going to look at a passage from Mark 2. We've been making our way through the story of Scripture, and we arrive now at Jesus, who is going to present himself as the heart of the Sabbath. If Sabbath is a gift, we realize that the actual gift is Christ. Because what I want us to see as we approach this passage in which we see that Jesus has encounters with Pharisees is that Jesus, I think, is addressing this question of, of how do we begin? How, how could we possibly find rest? And he's inviting us to see that all rest begins when we know the rest of God for us, when we know God's work for us. It's hard to us to imagine rest of any kind, physically, emotionally, spiritually, if we do not encounter that God has acted for us in Christ, inviting us to find rest in what he has done. So let's look at our passage from Mark 2. This is verse 23, then through chapter 3, verse 6. You can follow in order of worship or your Bible. Here is God's word to us. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, have you never heard and never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest? and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieving at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians, against him, how to destroy him. 
This is God's Word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your Word. We thank you for this call to find rest in you. We thank you for the wonder of Christ who enters into our questions, into our doubts, into our controversies to speak renewal and joy and rest, a new way of being. We pray by, that by your Spirit we would hear and that we turn to you this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this morning as we look at our passage and think about the rest that God gives us in Jesus, I want to take some time just to summarize what we just read, summarize what's happening, and then we're going to look at the two, thing, two things that Jesus says. One, the Sabbath is for humankind, and that He is the Lord of the Sabbath. So first, let's, let's look at what's happening in our passage. Right away, we're told that these things happen on the Sabbath day, and that keeping the Sabbath was a way of life for Jesus. The start of Jesus' ministry, we read that He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He took many Sabbath moments as he prayed in the early morning or at the end of the busy day or late into the night. <clears throat> Excuse me. After a long mission of teaching and healing, he encouraged the disciples to come away to a quiet place all by yourselves and rest. Sabbath was woven into Jesus' life and society, culture. But it's also on the Sabbath that Jesus had some of his most significant clashes with religious leaders. In our passage, Jesus is accused of breaking rabbinical rules about keeping the day of rest. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment, but it's important for us just to know that first he's being accused of do not, breaking the idea of do not reaping, do not harvest. That's what his disciples were being accused of when they break the heads of grain off as they walk through the fields. Second, he's being accused of breaking the idea of do not heal. Do not heal unless it's a life and death situation. There were numerous rabbinical rules built up as a fence around the Sabbath day as a way to protect its specialness. And Jesus is accused of breaking two of the rules. Well, Jesus defends his disciples first by telling the story of David. He says, hey, you remember David when he was on the run from Saul and he had his men with him and they were hungry and they were in need and so they went to the priest and they asked if they could eat the bread that was reserved only for the priest. Technically, David had broken the priestly law, but they were hungry and in need. And Jesus makes the connection here saying, like David, so we should think of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. In the second encounter, there is a man with a withered hand in need of help, but not in danger of imminent death. So the leaders argue his healing can wait until the Sabbath is over. And instead of waiting, though, Jesus puts a question before all those who are present. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? And when, the reader, when those who are present refuse to answer him, Jesus laments their hard-heartedness and he restores the man's hand as a way to affirm, again, that Sabbath is not about rules or about you know, holding things back but it is a gift of life, a gift for restoration, a gift for good. And both encounters show Jesus is re rejecting the narrow view that the Pharisees were operating under, and he's inviting everyone there to think again about how this is a gift from God for you, to bring care in your needs, to bring life in places of brokenness. 
So in that situation, I want us to see two things that Jesus said and think about what they mean. First, that Sabbath is for humankind. That we don't exist for the Sabbath, rather the Sabbath was made for us. Now, you might have noticed that the passage ends with the Pharisees going out and holding counsel with those who had political power in order to kill Jesus. And I don't know about you, but you might, want, you might stop and be like, why? You know, what's the big deal about taking a few grains of wheat, but healing somebody's hand? We need to look at the scene through the eyes of the first century, specifically the Pharisees. They were an unofficial party, and they acted much like a, kind of a pressure group, a religious pressure group that called for everyone to keep a detailed observation of purity laws and traditions, specifically around what food was eaten, around purity laws, around the Sabbath. The message being that by keeping these detailed rules, we can set ourselves apart as the true faithful ones. By keeping these detailed rules, we can show that we follow God and that we're not like our pagan Roman neighbors. So how do we show ourselves that we're followers of God by keeping these rules. And so they watch, and they are troubled because here is a traveling teacher who's growing a popularity, who seems to be disregarding the laws and rules around rest and Sabbath. Why does it appear, why does it seem that Jesus is devaluing these things? Why is Jesus not interested in the rules? I think at the heart of it, it's because Sabbath rest in that moment, Sabbath rest had become a means of condemning others or justifying yourself. This gift that God had given that was to be a blessing had become a means to condemn those around you or to lift yourself up. Not just a way to dismiss the pagan Romans, but it had become a means to dismiss their fellow Jews. The rules of rest had been reduced down to sh- a way to show that you were more serious more committed, more faithful than others, or to judge those as being less committed than you? How do we rightly rest? How do you go about resting? The question had become an endless dissection about what you could or could not do to the point where you couldn't even break the head off a grain because you were now working. During the Second Temple period, There were many, many legal rules that came up around the Sabbath. One scholar cites a a listing of 59 different classes of prohibitions against what you could do or could not do on the Sabbath. And it might sound silly to our modern ears. I don't know how it strikes you. But it's possible that as we've gone through this series, or if, if you've been thinking about the idea of rest and trying to set apart time from work or responsibilities, that we can begin to struggle with the question as well. How do I do this? What can I do or or not do? Where do I draw the line? And that's what's happening here. That question has gone awry. We've been exploring a handful of different questions through this series, trying to get our hands around this idea of rest in a culture that demands busyness. We've asked, is rest a virtue? And if so, why is it hard for me to stop and rest? We've asked, in what ways does my busyness obscure my vision or prevent me from seeing others? 
We've asked, is there any consequence for not keeping the command to intentionally rest? And now as we see these encounters that Jesus has with the Pharisees, we can ask, how do we not turn the call to rest into a day or an idea that reeks of condemnation? Where it becomes another task for me to do or another way for me to look down on somebody else or feel shame of what I have or haven't gotten done? How do I avoid it becoming condemnation instead of the gift that God gave? See, Jesus describes such an approach, this idea of reducing rest down to one more task or rule, as hard-heartedness. The condition of being unable to see what God is actually doing. Unable to, actually, to open myself to God's work. It's a condition of hard-heartedness that centers on the idea that rest is one more thing under human control. One more task or one more idea to master. One more way for me to control. This world we're invited, we feel out of control all the time, and one way to approach it is that we work really hard, we're busy. Another way to control things is to go to this religious observation that I do what I'm supposed to do, I'm okay. And what I think Jesus is pointing at and pressing at, why he's willing to take this difficulty on himself, these encounters, is he says, if you want to rest, if you want to find rest, then there has to be a break, a separation from your control, your power, your kind of order of accomplishing things. See, rest cannot come through the lens of that I got everything done and I'll, I'll take care of everything. Then it'll be fine. Rest has to begin not in my power, but rest has to begin that God has acted in a way that I cannot act, that God has done something for me that frees me, that interrupts the voices and challenges, that gives me a gift. Sabbath is a challenging idea in many ways. And one of them is because it invites us and tells us to enter it. We must set down our work, our goodness, and to receive that God has created me and redeemed me. And here what we see with the Pharisees is that the whole point of the commandment to celebrate God's creation and redemption has been lost. And Jesus brings it to a head by asking, is the Sabbath for humankind or is humankind for the Sabbath? There is a, a book called The Conscience and Its Restoration by Eberhard Arnold, the great name of a German theologian, Eberhard Arnold, and he writes and encourages that we must remember that our conscience, that voice that we hear, can be of great help to us, but it can also bring problems to us. He says our conscience is informed by our culture, what things our culture values or upholds. And so that voice within us can help us, but it can also level false aims at us or false ideas. And when the conscience is reacting in the wrong place, it's like a compass needle jerking unsteadily here and there without accuracy not really knowing where to go. And here's the part that stood out to me. This unhealthy or enslaved conscience can express annihilating self-accusations. Annihilating self-accusations. Anyone besides me know what that means? That voice? <laughs> that voice of self-accusation. 
And in a culture that tells us that we need to show that we are worthy, that we can get things done, that we won't grow tired or weary, the false aim can tell us, the false voice can say that we should feel shame when we feel weary, that we feel guilty if we stop, that we hear the voice pushing us, equating our worth and success to being productive, being the best. While others fall away, I can keep going. Or maybe that false conscience can flip to the other side, the false aim being the self-accusation that I'm the one that's doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm resting. I'm taking a break. I'm not doing this or that. Therefore, I can judge others because I'm good. I'm okay. And Jesus is inviting us to let go of that yoke, the yoke of the cultural expectations, the yoke of the law of being self-righteous, and come to him and rest that rest begins in God working for us. And this idea of God working for us, this gift gets centered in the next thing that Jesus says, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. We see all sorts of things that Jesus says here. One, he equates himself with King David, that he is the king that has not yet been recognized or enthroned, but he's bringing a new kingdom. But we also see that he says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath by referring to himself as the Son of Man, Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. To help us understand what, that, what he's getting at is that over and over in Scripture, God says, you shall keep my Sabbath. I gave them my Sabbath. They shall keep my Sabbath. The idea I could go on and on, but the Sabbath does not belong to us. It didn't belong to the Jews. It was God's, and he gave it as a gift. And so if we're ever looking for a divine statement, Jesus equating himself with God, we can look here. When Jesus says he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying it belongs to him. My Sabbath, the Lord God says, and Jesus is equating himself in that manner that he is Lord and that God and God's ways are now known in him. And therefore, it makes sense that if he is the king who's bringing a new kingdom, he's saying that Sabbath rest is in me. Our souls have to find rest in God's work in Jesus. That's how it begins. There is a statue in Liverpool, England, of two figures about to shake hands with a soccer ball at their feet. The statue is called All Together Now, and it remembers a time during World War I when English and German troops on Christmas Day held a truce, and more than that, played a soccer game together. In the middle of no man's land between the, the battle, they went out and played a game. Now I imagine, I don't know what that game was like, there might be some heated confrontations during that game, but I also imagine there might have been some laughter or even a smile or two in the midst of a terrible, terrible war. And I mentioned that to think about here was this interruption, an interruption in a terrible war, an interruption in this like dehumanizing events, a soccer game, a moment of joy and connection and peace, a moment, interruption that invited them to look back. I can't imagine that there were soldiers who, who thought about playing soccer with their siblings, with a parent, or the joy of being in their village. And here was an interruption, again, an interruption that also reminded them of a future, that they wouldn't always be a soldier. They wouldn't always be carrying a gun. That there would be a day in the future when the war was over in which they again 
could laugh and play soccer, hold a ball instead of a weapon. See, God gave the Sabbath in a similar manner as an interruption in the midst of all our demands, the good and the bad, inviting us to remember who we are and to look back that God created us and gave us this fruitful world. Look back, Israel, and remember that you were taken out of slavery in Egypt. And to also look ahead, to look ahead in the face of mistreatment, in the face of our sin, in the face of injustice and in death, that one day that rest would fully arrive. And Jesus is saying that that hope is in me. At the heart of our rest, when we gather here this morning, the reason that rest is attached to worship is that we need to hear and remember and celebrate Jesus' victory, that he entered death for you and me, and that he rose victorious from the grave, the one who was above all things, defeating our sin and our death on our behalf. And then we gather here, we remember his victory, we celebrate it, allowing us again to look back, remember not only that we may, are made by God, but that God has entered into my weakness, into my brokenness, into the ways that I've been hurt, into all of my sin. He's entered into it with a new voice, the actions of Christ for us. And we gather here and we can look forward that the resurrection says that our future does not belong to my work, does not belong to all the voices that would speak into me and make accusations, but my future and who I am belongs to God who has redeemed me in Christ. The resurrection is a new beginning, a new start. You are not your sin. You are not the way that others have hurt you or defined you, but you are the one that God has acted for to redeem and make new. So this reason that as Christians gather, we gather this hope of rest, but a rest that begins in God acting for us. I invite you, as we think about that, we long to have a, a moment of quiet, a long to remember who we are in the midst of all the demands. Begin. Begin not with your ability to master things, your ability to keep rules. Begin with God's actions for you in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news that we are not on our own, that we're not by ourselves to face all the tasks or demands or words that are upon us, but that, Lord, we are in Christ through faith, and we pray that we'd find rest in you this day. Amen.
God, you alone can bring peace into the ever-changing wills and affections of sinners. Grant us grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the constant changes of the world, our hearts may be fixed on you, where true joy may be found. And now we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. 